Well, good morning. It is a good day. It is a good day. Thank you all for, uh, for being here. Uh, as Karen mentioned, um, this Wednesday night there aren't going to be any, uh, no classes are going to be going on, but there will be a service on Wednesday night. Uh, we have the privilege of hosting our, uh, our network for our denomination, the Assemblies of God. Uh, that will be on uh, uh, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. We'll have uh, many people from Colorado and Utah that will be here. Somewhat, somewhere over 300 people will be here as a part of uh, this denominational uh, uh, event. And on Wednesday night is a special service. It's the ordination service. And so there's many uh, ministers that will be uh, moving along in this ordination process to become pastors and things like that. And, um, and, and so many people, even there are some in our congregation that are also in the process of uh, kind of moving along in the education requirements and receiving uh, different kinds of credentials. And in fact, I don't know if Natasha is here, but Natasha uh, will be receiving the license to preach in the Assemblies of God. You've got the certified minister license and then ordination. And uh, so she'll be receiving that on, uh, on Wednesday night. So if anybody would like to be here Wednesday night to support her, uh, that would be uh, fantastic as well. So just wanted to share that uh, with you. So Wednesday night, if you're here at 7, 7 p.m., uh, the classes won't be going on, but there will be stuff happening here at the church. I remember pretty vividly uh, the question that was asked of me, why did you do it? Why did you do that? <laughs> um, and if you've, if you've ever been a teenager, uh, that question is probably asked of you many, many times, right? Why, why did you do that? That's just not really smart. Um, the worst time of answering that question uh, was in the Thanksgiving season. I know I've shared a little bit about this before, but Thanksgiving season at our home in Sandy when I used to live there uh, when I was like 13, 14 years of age, uh, didn't have a vehicle. And so we were, uh, you know, parents would have to drive you places and things like that. Well, my friend and I, or my friend at the time and I, we would uh, go to different stores and at the stores we would engage in... Uh, activities that are not supported by the Bible. Let me just put it that way. And um, one thing to keep in mind in all of this, I was the good kid. Uh, my brother was the bad kid. I was the good kid. And I did no wrong, you know, at least nobody thought I did. I was, a, I was a good boy scout. I got great grades. I was like, you know, straight A student and all that stuff. Uh, you know, so on the outside, it all looked great. But on the inside, there was just something weird going on with me at that age, as happens in uh, 13, 14-year-olds. And... Uh, I came out of the Albertsons on 9400 South and uh, uh, up in Sandy, probably two, 2000 East or something like that. And I remember walking out of the Albertsons with my friend, and I remember very strong grip happened on my shoulder. And at the time, I'm like, oh, I wonder what that is, and you kind of push against it. And then I realized that that grip is on both me and my friend. And we cannot escape from the hands that are gripping us. And I turn around, and there is a much larger man than me uh, gripping and holding on to me and says, uh, young men, I would like for you to rejoin me in the Albertsons. And, and so we go back in, and the question was asked, could you please empty your pockets? And uh, to which I said no. And then I quickly said yes when I realized what was going to happen. So emptied the pockets, and we had, we had gone through the store and picked up a bunch of things that we were going to resell to our friends. It was a great, great little scheme. And um, <laughs> stolen things that I had in my, in my, in my pocket. And... Uh, the guy was nice enough to not call the police on us, and uh, so I was a little excited about that, but instead I had to make a phone call 
to my parents. That's great. So much fun. And the question, why did you do it? You know, mo- good sound of this question of motivation. Now, remember this, I, I said it was at Thanksgiving time. And remember, I'm the good kid. And so uh, m- my mom or my dad, I can't remember who it was, uh, came down, picked me up. And uh, the, the long, silent drive of shame, right? And, and we get back up to the house and it's Thanksgiving. So all of our family is visiting. And I'm the good kid the walk of shame come in, and they're all like, you feel like they're, they're beady eyes, just kind of looking at you with that sadness on their face going, we had so much hope for you, <laughs> right? And here I am, I'm this thief, I'm this felon now, or whatever, and so go upstairs. But anyway, but that question, why did you do this? It gets down to this heart of motivation. Why did I shoplift? Well, I'd grown pretty accustomed to it. I just happened to get caught on that day. But well before that, I had done a whole lot of shoplifting, okay? And it was just something in there. It was this, this thrill, right? There, there was something, the thrill of not being caught. Uh, the, the thrill of being able to go tell your friends, look at, look at what I did and look what I, look what I walked out of the store with. It was amazing, Right? the motivation of why we do things. I remember years later, uh, after Jesus had finally really gotten a hold of my heart, um, I went back to one of the stores from which I had uh, lifted quite a few things, like probably thousands of dollars worth of stuff that I had uh, taken from this little hobby shop in Sandy, Utah. Went back to the owner, and I confessed to him. I said, hey, I did this. I, 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 st- I ripped you off blind uh, through the years, and uh, for probably three or four years that that, that happened. And uh, graciously, uh, he accepted my, my deep apology and my desire to pay him back, which he refused at the time. Well, I mean, refused just kind of period. And uh, I was just blown away with the grace that was extended to me as a young man as I was coming out of that life of crime, right? That was, uh, that was my thing. Um, so why did I shoplift? Bragging rights? For the thrill of it, the danger is probably all of that and more. And as adults, uh, now we look back and we wonder what our motivation was to do certain things that we did, right, as kids. And we, we sometimes get removed from it. We don't know why we did it. And then now that we're adults, we're wondering why we do the things that we do today, right? Why, why, do, I, why, why do I do the really wise things? Why do I do those? And why do I still, as an adult, do the really stupid things, right? Fly off the handle at times or, uh, you know, whatever it might be. And so then, especially when it comes to our spiritual life, I think when it comes to this and when we pray, that there is something about this motivation to pray uh, that, that gets me every time. Why? Why am I even engaged in spiritual life? Why, why do I do the things that I do in order to get God to notice me or other people to notice me? Or how does, how does all of this work? You know, and Jesus knows this, this human heart condition that we have uh, where we struggle with the reason why we do certain things. Um, the culture around us can shape our view of God. I'm not sure if you realize that. The culture around us can shape our view of God. And I would say especially the American culture has shaped our view of God because in our culture around us, in the, uh, the commercials that we have around us, who is it 
that ends up winning. It's the beautiful people. It's the people with stuff, right? It's, it's uh, the, the, the sexual kind of uh, promiscuity that is just promoted around there. And, and somehow that mindset of perfection, that mindset that everything on the outside has to be right, finds its way into how we interact with God. And sometimes we feel like we're not worthy because we don't have it all figured out. And so we pull ourselves away from God. Sometimes we pull ourselves away from others, even from church or whatever, because we don't quite have it all figured out. So Jesus understands this. And uh, in Matthew chapter 5 and uh, through Matthew chapter 7 is this incredible message that Jesus gives. We call it the Sermon on the Mount. If you've been in the, in the church for a while, we call it this, the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, a, lot of, um, a lot of scholars think that you know, part of this is uh, gathered together to, to create this huge message that Jesus gives over three chapters to this group of people uh, that are there. And it's, uh, the group of people are uh, strangers. There are people who are just following after the crowd. They're the disciples. All of these people are gathered around. And inside the, uh, the Sermon on the Mount, and this might be familiar for those who are not familiar with church, but I'm going to uh, kind of go through what, what's in the Sermon on the Mount really quickly here. Uh, the Beatitudes, you've heard of the Beatitudes before. You know, these are the, the way that we should live our lives. The Beatitudes, uh, righteous living, turning the other cheek, what to do with anger, how to handle a, a, a adultery and retaliation, and so much more. It really is an ethical masterpiece that Jesus presents to the people of God through the Sermon on the Mount. Right smack dab in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount are three topics that Jesus deals with. The first one is giving. The second one is prayer. The, the third one is fasting. And this really is the heart of, at the time, uh, the, 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 the approach that the, uh, that the Jewish uh, kind of relationship with God took. That there was this giving aspect to it, there was prayer, and there was fasting. These were the three kind of key pillars for the experience with God. And in every one of these things, right smack dab in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, uh, Jesus deals directly with motivation. Why do you give? Why do you pray? And why do you fast? This is what Jesus at the heart of the Sermon on the Mount is dealing with, is the motivation, Why? Why do we do the things we do when it comes especially to our spiritual practices? So today we're going to take a deeper look at the motivation of prayer. This is the kind of where we are right now in, in, this, uh, in this message, teach us, or in the series, Teach Us to Pray. Um, next week we're going to actually look at uh, the beginning of the Lord's Prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. So we're going to get to that next week. This week, though... We're going to talk about this segment that Jesus has in the Sermon on the Mount right before he teaches uh, the, the, uh, the teaches kind of this model of prayer that he gives because he deals with motivation. Why do we pray? So here we go. Matthew chapter 6. If you have your Bibles, uh, please turn to Matthew chapter 6. You've got your smart devices, whatever you got. Uh, we'll have it obviously on the screen here, but there is something about looking it up for yourself. Uh, don't take my word for it as I'm preaching it. Uh, I want you guys to be comfortable looking at the word yourselves. So please uh, get to either your physical Bibles or your uh, smart devices and uh, head there. So Matthew chapter 6, verse 5 through 9. Here's what he says. Whenever you pray, whenever doesn't matter. Whenever you pray, do not be like the hypocrites. Right. 
do not be like the hypocrites, because they love to pray while standing in the synagogues and on street corners so that people can see them. Truly, I say to you, they have their reward. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. When you pray, do not babble repetitiously like the Gentiles, because they think that by their many words they will be heard. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. And he goes on, so pray this way. Now, there's a couple of things that are going on in this, uh, in what Jesus is, is talking about. Uh, one of, and, and we got to make sure we get it right because uh, as I was reading through this, and actually just a few minutes ago, um, when I was, I just wrote, wrote myself a little note. Um, Praying in public, right, that's, that's really not what Jesus is dealing with here. Uh, some, how many of you are scared to death to pray in front of people? Raise your hand real quick. I mean, you're, you are, look around, you're not alone, right? There is just something about it that freaks people out, even to the point like when you're uh, praying and you've got a group of people around uh, at Thanksgiving time and everybody at the table, they all love Jesus, but for some reason, as soon as you, somebody says, hey, can you pray for the meal? Uh, I don't know what to say. <laughs> Anybody there, right? You just, I, I don't know what to say. And so what happens with me is everybody goes, well, you're the pastor. Why don't you pray? <laughs> no. <laughs> no, I'm not. I'm going to refuse to pray at the meal anytime, right? Um, but that's not what Jesus is talking about here, this motivation to pray. and all. It's not a public prayer versus private prayer. That's not the point here. It's the motivation of the heart. That's what's at stake uh, with this. So in, in these words, Jesus lays bare the heart. Why do we pray? And so there are two parts to this that I think Jesus is dealing with. And um, one of these is this motivation to reveal the self. Um, and then the others of these is the motivation to reveal God, right? That, that's kind of how I, how I look at these two, uh, two different things. So this, this first one, motivation of revealing self. This picture that Jesus paints here. If we're not careful, we can come to the wrong conclusion about it. Part of it is, you know, public prayer. When we pray in front of people, Jesus is not saying that that is inherently bad, <laughs> right? There's nothing wrong with praying in front of people, but why do we pray in front of other people? Um, so when, what Jesus is dealing with here and the motivation to reveal the self, what he's dealing with is, um, and this is for all of us, not just, uh, not just you, right? This is for all of us. In the attempt at spirituality with the wrong motivation, here's what's happening. Number one, we are attempting to impress others with our external spirituality, right? There are times when that is absolutely the motivation because I want to look good in front of other people. And I got to tell you, folks, there are times when, uh, as your pastor, I've got to watch out for this motivation, because there are times I want to have just the right words to speak. I want, and I mean, this is, this is this what goes on, this, this little, little brain of mine at times. I want to have the right words to speak so that I can impress others with the way that I pray. The Bible says, I have received my reward. <laughs> Right? Because that prayer becomes meaningless. Because the motivation of the heart is in the wrong place. 
The other side of this is not only just to impress other people, but there are times when we are trying to use our, our external spirituality to impress God. Is God impressed by our spirituality? <laughs> not really, because he sees our hearts, right? He knows all the stuff we deal with. He knows that we are broken and totally in need of his mercy and his grace. So both of these are empty, right? Both of these kind of motivations. I want to impress other people, and I want to impress God. Uh, the reward is already given, and it's empty. It becomes this never-ending attempt uh, to try to impress. This is ultimately the motivation of the self. It's all external. And uh, it's easy to point this out um, when it comes to non-spiritual things because uh, that motivation to impress others is very easy in our culture, right? I mean, we already talked about the commercialization of everything. So I want to have the best car in the parking lot. Why do I want to have the best car in the parking lot? So that people know that I have the best car in the parking lot, right? And I park it out about 30 spots from everybody else so that they can see that car and wonder in awe at that car, right? Do you know anybody like that or are you like that? Is there anybody like that? Okay. <laughs> right? Um, or I want to have the best, the, 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 I want to look the best because I want people to see me. Right? I want to have the best clothes, which obviously is not true of me. <laughs> right? Okay. I want to have the best because I want people to see me. It goes down to shoes. Uh, there's a, there's this, this individual who on Instagram has uh, made, it, made it a point to go on and point out the cost of all the shoes that, uh, that very successful preachers wear. <laughs> and I'm like, well, that is a really strange thing uh, to, to do, but he does that. It's re very, very strange. Um, but right, I've got to have the best shoes. I've got to have the best car. I've got to have... I've got to put myself in a position where there's conversations are happening that I end up on top in the conversation. Whatever story you tell, I've got a better story to tell because it's all about me. And that's what happens when the hypocrites pray because the motivation is not spiritual growth. The motivation is look at how spiritual I am. Look at me in wonder and in awe. Don't come too close to me because I am holy and pure, <laughs> right? For the spiritual, it can seem pretty impressive. We study the Bible a lot in order to prove a point without ourselves being transformed by the word that we're reading. That's what Jesus is dealing with. We use the word as a manipulation tool so that we can be spiritual. And those who aren't quite as spiritual, they look to us to feed our own ego and potentially prey on those who are not as mature as us. This is what Jesus is dealing with. Or we pray in such a way as to manipulate spiritual growth in others. Parents, we are really good at this, by the way, to, to our kids. Oh, Lord, I... Just so grateful for, for, my, for my son. And Lord, as he goes up in five minutes and begins studying for his math test that's tomorrow, Lord, let him feel your presence as he studies what he knows he should have been studying already through the rest of today. But he hasn't done it yet, Lord. But Lord, move on his heart as you peek around, make sure he's listening to you, right? Okay, so we're really good at that. 
sometimes we're really good about that uh, when it comes to manipulating other people. We pray for them with them and, you know, and, and we use ourselves as the example or something like that, right? We got to be so, so careful because God sees the heart. God knows why we're doing that. So for Jesus, the hypocrites were the religious leaders of his time who had the show. They had the show down. They knew how to look the part. But it was completely empty. God, or God, Jesus, well, that is God, right? Jesus later on uh, uh, calls them a whitewashed sepulchers or whitewashed graves. Everything looked good on the outside, but on the inside, it's dead. And if we're not careful, this subtle pressure can find its way into our own spiritual life because we want to look good for others. And I get it, right? I mean, I, I, I totally get it. But Jesus says that we've got to watch out for that motivation, the motivation of revealing the self. Um, in the world that Jesus uh, lived in, the Roman culture around him was steeped in this very idea. Because uh, the, the Roman religion and the Greek religion that came before it was all about formulas in order to get the gods to hear you. And so you had to say the right words over and over and over and over again, this babbling idea, and you had to look the part and everything had to be right because those gods would not listen to you unless you had the formula figured out, unless you had the right name to figure out, to point it, uh, point it out to the god to, so that they would notice you. There's this one story that uh, Livy, he is, a, um, he is a Roman historian, he talks about this, uh, this uh, priest who is giving this, this, uh, this ceremony for the city, and the, uh, the priest uh, forgot the word Roman people as part of, the, as part of this benevolent uh, appeal to a god, and it was like hours long, but because he forgot that one phrase, they had to start the entire ceremony over from the beginning because they knew that that God that they were praying to would not listen to them because he got it wrong. Because that God had no idea what they needed. Um, there's this powerful example in the Old Testament of this very activity happening. And our, our women's uh, Bible study midweek is going through uh, the story of Elijah. And it actually serves as an incredible uh, example of this whole idea. So turn in your Bibles, please, uh, to 1 Kings chapter 18. Um, this confrontation was inevitable because the prophets of Baal, uh, they were in spiritual ascendancy because the king of Israel loved the prophets of Baal. In fact, the king of Israel and his wife, uh, that was Ahab and Jezebel. Uh, if you've been part of, the, part of the church world, you know both of those names are not great names. Um, and uh, they, they served the Baals with all of their strength. But there was a confrontation that was inevitable because the prophet of God, Elijah, was willing to confront these prophets of Baal. And uh, the prophets of, uh, prophets of Baal and the king of Israel, they became quite incensed that Elijah was preaching against them. And so this confrontation begins to happen. The prophets of Baal. 450 of them, they build this incredible altar, and there is a challenge that is given, uh, given to them uh, by Elijah. It's basically, uh, we're going to pray, we're going to build altars, we're going to sacrifice an animal, and we're going to pray, and whichever God answers by fire, that is the real God. 
So we pick up the story in 1 Kings chapter 8, verse 26. They took the bull and they prepared it and called upon the name of Baal from morning until noon, saying, O Baal, answer us. But there was no voice and no one answered. And they limped around the altar that they had made. And at noon, Elijah mocked them. So this is the, the man of God. This is the prophet mocking them. It's kind of funny. He says, cry aloud for he is a God, talking to the prophets. Either he is musing or he's relieving himself. <laughs> it's there in the Bible right there. Relieving. Or he is on a journey or perhaps he's asleep and must be awakened. Right? So their God, they're calling out this God is not responding at all. And Elijah's kind of making fun of them. And they cried aloud, the prophets of Baal. They cut themselves after their custom with swords and lances until the blood gushed out upon them. And as midday passed, they raved on until the time of the offering of the oblation or the time of the sacrifice, which was about 6 p.m., so they are cutting themselves for hours. They are screaming out these formulaic babblings, right? They're trying to get the attention of their God. But it says at the end there, but there was no voice. No one answered. No one paid attention. This is the heart that Jesus is trying to keep us from. Because the musings and the babblings and the motivation was... We want to look great. We want to look great in front of all these people. We want to look great. And there's a cultural cry that goes unheeded in the world around us as many people cry out for justice, cry out for those who are broken and hurting, but it falls on deaf ears because it's about themselves. We want to be noticed. And man, my, my heart cries out for what we're going to talk about here in just a moment. Because my heart cries out for God to be made known in our culture. For God to be the one who receives the praise in our culture. Because folks, we feel this pressure all around us. If you watch the news, there is this cultural pressure to pull away from God to turn our eyes towards, uh, towards men and women who have no answers for us. When hope is placed in the self, in formulaic spirituality, it is a dead end. The reward has already been had. But what happens next is so powerful. And this, uh, here we see this other motivation revealed by Jesus, this motivation of revealing God. And this is that habitual private place that we go to when it comes to us getting with God in our spiritual life. Now, notice what happens here. It's their very, very public place where this happens. But the relationship with Elijah was secure in who God was prior to this moment. And so this becomes that private place of Elijah spending time with God. It just happens to be in front of people. 1 Kings chapter 18, then Elijah said to all the people, come here. All the people closed in and he repaired the Lord's altar that had been damaged. He built the stones up. He puts the wood in order. He butchers the bull. He placed the bull on the wood. And then at this moment, they take uh, jars of water and pour it over the altar. And uh, they had actually built like a little trench and they are dousing this thing in water. It's like, really, Elijah, this is a little bit over the top here. You're making it difficult for God in this moment. 
So three times they poured, and water is pouring over this. And then Elijah drew near and prayed. And I think this picture is he draws near to where the altar is. And I don't know exactly what happened in that moment for him, but I picture him kind of kneeling down in front of that altar. He draws near and he prays, Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant. I have done all these things at your instruction. Now remember, this, this to me is that, that private moment. He is not, not screaming this out. He's not yelling it out. He's not looking for himself to be lifted up. But this, this right here is great. Answer me, Lord. Answer me so that this people will know that I am the great prophet of God. Answer me, God, in this moment so the people will see my spirituality and will think I'm pretty cool. Answer me, God, so the people will turn to me when they've got questions about spiritual things because I've got it all figured out. It's not what he says. He says, answer me, Lord, so that this people will know that you, Lord, are the real God. And so that you can change their hearts. Folks, that motivation right there is the key to our prayer lives. Is that God is revealed through us because we in ourselves, we have no ability to change anyone's heart, let alone our own. Only God can do that through the power of the Holy Spirit within us and flowing through us. That's it. I love what it says. It says, then the Lord's fire fell. Just a simple statement. (laughs) The Lord's fire fell. It consumed the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, and the dust. It even licked up the water in the trench. All the people saw this and fell on their faces. And this is when you know the motivation is right. It's not, oh, Elijah, look how great you are, Elijah. We need to go around you and be near you. What it says is they fell on their faces. The Lord is the real God. The Lord is the real God. What is revealed in our lives through our own prayer life? Is it us? Or is it Jesus Christ? And I love what uh, Stephen was uh, praying earlier. Right, if we, right this, this whole thing, all of this should reveal Jesus Christ. That truly is our motivation. We want to see Jesus lifted up in our community. We want to see Jesus lifted up in your home. We want to see Jesus lifted up. Uh, I mean, we had what, a bunch of families that were here on Thursday. We want to see Jesus lifted up in all of them as they receive food and praying for them and believing God uh, for his best in their lives. The motivation and all this is not the loudness, it's not the number of words, it's not a formula. It is that heart's desire that we have that Jesus, you be lifted up. That Jesus, you ultimately be the motivation because we want people to see that God is real. We want people to see that God is a God who answers prayer. How many of you have a request in your life that you need to see Jesus answer? Right, lift your hand up really quick. Now look around, keep your hands raised for just a moment, look around right? Every one of these are opportunities for Jesus to do something miraculous and powerful, that he shows himself to be real. I'm going to invite you to stand to your feet as we close out. 
Remember at the end, um, I mean, the, this whole babbling idea that the, the uh, Baal was silent because Baal had no clue what those people needed until they got the formula right or something like that. But I love what Jesus says at the very end of that moment of motivation. He says, for your father knows what you need before you even ask. Folks, this is the power of our God. So what's the motivation for your prayer life? I want to challenge you here before we even get to the Lord's Prayer, because the Lord's Prayer is not a formula that we pray and then God magically answers that the way we want him to answer it every time. We've got to have this foundation that God is most concerned about our hearts, right? He's concerned about this motivation. Why do we want to be drawn to him? Why do we want to pray? Is it to get what we want? Or is it so that he can reveal through us his power, his grace, the reality of who he is? Because I would love for the response of the people of the valley to be the Lord. He is the real God. Father, I thank you for this morning. God, I'm grateful for these who have gathered here. And God, I think back on that story in, uh, that Elijah participated in. And God, the people of Israel responded, the Lord, he is the real God. Lord, this really is our motivation. Our desire, God, is that you be lifted up. Our desire, God, is that in all of our spirituality, Lord, in all of us uh, trying to do the right thing, God, that it wouldn't be turned towards us for people to see us. For the people to see a church, for the people to see a building, God, that's not the point. And if it is, we've already received our reward. But God, this motivation, Lord, let it be for all of us that that motivation is to reveal you. Every head bowed, every eye closed. You're here this morning and you recognize that uh, perhaps motivation, your motivation has been a little bit skewed. And you would say, God, I need you to correct me in my motivation for the reason why I've prayed or why I've studied the word or why I've got people around me. And you realize that you've just got to get a few things a little bit different in your life to get that motivation correct. If that's you in this, this really moment of, of transparency for you and vulnerability, if that's you, can you just lift your hand really quickly? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Lots of hands up. You're not alone. Father, you see every one of these hands. God, let it be that our motivation is to see you high and lifted up. God, let it be that these who have uh, raised their hands in this, this, uh, this moment, God, of, of introspection, that, Lord, you would change that motivation, God. The, the, um, um, God, our culture can so get inside of us so easily. But, God, we call it out and we recognize it, Lord, as something <laughs> that's only going to lead to a dead end. And so, Lord, change the motivation of our heart so that our motivation is for you. God, I ask that you would forgive us in times, Lord, when our motivation has been for ourselves. God, help us to not couch, uh, couch that in terms of our own spirituality, Lord, that we measure up to ourselves and make us feel good about it. But God, I pray that you would lay those things bare in our own soul and our own hearts 
so that, God, we can wipe ourselves of a motivation that's not glorifying and pleasing to you. And then one final commitment maybe we can make together as a, uh, as a church. Uh, if you are willing to say, okay, God, uh, help me in my motivation uh, to truly have that motivation to lift you up. If that's you and you would say, yeah, I want that to happen in my life, can you just lift your hand really quickly? Thank you. Father God, you see all the hands. Lord, we are in that position. Well, Lord, we together commit as Life Church Utah to make you larger in our lives, make you larger in the Salt Lake Valley, in the Tooele Valley, to make you larger, God, because truly, Lord, you are the real God. And so, Lord, be revealed in and through us in the way that we live our lives. Lord, I pray in Jesus' name that you would, uh, you would use us, God, so that uh, you, would be, um, you would be raised in a more powerful way in the Salt Lake Valley. That, God, in the Tooele Valley, Jesus, you would be lifted up and that you would draw people to you, God. Father, we present ourselves to you. God, we give you all the glory, all the honor, and all the praise. And Lord, as you have called us to lead the people of the valley to be more like you, Lord, help us in our motivation be more like you, Jesus. Lord, we love you this day. We commit this day to you, Lord. In Jesus' wonderful name we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Thank you so much for being here. And uh, don't forget this Wednesday, if you'd like to come on, be a part of services that night. Otherwise, we'll see you next week. God bless you. Have a great afternoon.